Well, welcome to the Black Madonna Speaks with me, your host, Stephanie Georgiev. I'm so pleased you've decided to share your valuable time with me, and I also hope your Advent is coming along nicely. At this point, the Christmas season is in full force with concerts, festivals, parties, and such. I remember fondly my Advents with my family. Ours was very immersed in church as my dad was the choir director at the church where I grew up. And we also celebrated Orthodox Christmas in January with all the church, family, professional, and community obligations. By the time January 6th rolled around, let's say we were quite celebrated out. But it was very fun as well as meaningful to mark the birth of Christ in such a way, and my memories have only grown fonder with the passage of time. A special shout out to my Patreon supporters. We just finished The Stars Upon Her Mantle, the 46-day personal pilgrimage focusing on the Virgin of Guadalupe and obviously the stars upon her mantle. Now, my Patreon supporters will be experiencing the Holy Nights with the Black Madonna starting on December 24th and completing on January 6th. Now, if you would like to experience this meditative journey during the sacred time between Christmas and Epiphany, see the link in the program notes. Uh, This is only available for Patreon supporters. Now, in all of the preparations for Christmas, one aspect is certainly the image of the Virgin and Child. In North America, Time Magazine usually has an annual issue examining the Virgin Mary during this time. I must say, some of my favorite Christmas cards feature the Virgin and Child. The image of mother and son is quite ubiquitous in Christian art. Every continent where Christianity is practiced has some form or another of this theme. I find it very heartwarming to see how different artists depict the Virgin and am intrigued by the images coming from Native Americans, South America, the Pacific Islands, Asia, and of course, Africa. Please know I adore all images of Mary. For me, they express how divinity is presented to each group of people in ways recognizable to a particular demographic or audience. Regardless of ethnicity or presentation, the Virgin is the expression of the highest ideal and capacity of the human being to say yes to divinity and to birth divine love in their souls on earth. It really is that simple. As many of you know by now, my first attempts at researching and contextualizing the Black Madonna was to explore the artists who created them and the dates when they were crafted. We know, for instance, that Raphael's magnificent Sistine Madonna was obviously painted by him, and we have the dates of the painting, which are in 1512. For me, it is significant to consider when something was either created or happening because in many ways such considerations are vital to understanding the spiritual messages behind events and creations. 
I liked to explore what was happening in the heavens through the stars, as I did with the times and dates of the apparitions of the Virgin of Guadalupe in Mexico. Usually the messages are quite profound and meaningful. You can imagine my disappointment at not being able to do this for the Black Madonnas, because the Black Madonnas rarely had artists associated with them, and certainly had no record of specific dates of creation. What Black Madonnas do have, however, are approximate dates of discoveries, and if there is an artist associated with them, it is the Evangelist Luke. For those of you who have read my books and also listened to the podcasts, you have seen entire threads developed by Black Madonna discovery stories, which are just as meaningful as if they were messages from the heavens from specific dates. The artist attributed to these Madonnas is also worthy of exploration. I cannot specifically tell you that, yes, indeed, the evangelist Luke, author of the Luke Gospel and the Book of Acts, had some studio in the Holy Land producing numerous icons and statues. It's not like he signed and dated these works of art. But as with all things regarding the spiritual world and esoteric Christianity, it's more the symbolism that's important. And from Luke, this abounds in terms of understanding the deep and healing messages found in various Black Madonnas attributed to him. I personally like the notion that in addition to writing the Gospel and Book of Acts, Luke was busy making Madonna images, but then this is simply my unabashed bias. Large, you know, just do, do with this information as you will. So who is this person who wrote two books of the New Testament and apparently created quite a bit of art in his life? Luke the Evangelist is one of the four evangelists, the four traditionally ascribed authors to the canonical Gospels. The early church fathers ascribed to him authorship of both the Gospel of Luke and the Act of the Apostles. Other prominent figures in early Christianity, such as Jerome and Eusebius, later reaffirmed his authorship, although a lack of conclusive evidence as to the identity of the author of the works has led to discussions in scholarly circles, both secular and religious. Now, the New Testament mentions Luke briefly a few times, and the epistle to the Colossians refers to him as a physician, which in Greek means one who heals. Because of this verse, he is thought to have been both a physician and a disciple of Paul. The Catholic Church and other major denominations venerate him as St. Luke the Evangelist and as a patron saint of artists, physicians, bachelors, notaries, butchers, brewers, and others. His feast day is on the 18th of October. I can see Luke as a patron saint of artists and physicians, but the rest I find rather interesting. But who am I to tell the notaries and Brewsters who their patron saint should be? 
Scholars differ as to where they think Luke was born and whether or not he was a Hellenistic Jew or a convert to Christianity. It's also up for debate as to whether or not Luke witnessed Christ Jesus' ministry in person. Because the gospel was written in scholarly Greek, it is considered that Luke was highly educated. There are references throughout the gospel hinting to Plato, Homer, and other Greek philosophers, also indicating that Luke was educated. Since we do have the reference in Colossians 4.14, quote, Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings, unquote, in order to be a physician, one who heals. At that time, the education was very heavily into Hippocrates, so one needed to be educated in all the classics. According to Eastern Church tradition, St. Luke is considered the first iconographer. Though there is no evidence, writings that stated this started to appear in the 8th century, referring to his icons of the Virgin and Child. His gospel stood out for its detail in the narration of Christ's childhood. It is often considered that Luke listened to the Virgin Mary retell stories while he painted her. In fact, this is the legend behind the famous Polish Black Madonna of Czestochowa. I will read an interesting quote by an 8th century Bishop of Lesbos, André de Crete, from his treatise on the veneration of holy icons. Quote, of the evangelist and the apostle Luke, all his contemporaries said that with his own hands he painted both Christ the Incarnated himself and his purest mother, and their images are preserved in Rome, so it is said, with great honor, and in Jerusalem they are exhibited with meticulous attention. This quote is cited in a very interesting document, if you can get a hold of it. It's called The Shaping of an Icon, St. Luke the Artist, by Rebecca Raynor in her 2015 dissertation for her PhD. I hope to interview her for the Black Madonna Speaks, so fingers crossed. The tradition of Luke as an artist also started during the iconoclasm era in the Byzantine Empire. This was when holy images, art specifically, was banned by Emperor Leo III in 726. This was done because the Byzantines were losing on the battlefield to the Muslims, and Leo could not understand why. Apparently, he thought God was on their side. Now, Leo reasoned that the Muslims did not have images in their art, and the first commandment was that man should not have images. So he and others deduced that if they could get rid of icons and idols, then God would stop being mad at them and they could win battles again. This set off bitter, violent backlashes between theologians, politicians, the public, monasteries, and so on, even East-West, the Eastern Church versus the Western Church, 
And, and this lasted for about a thousand, hundred years, excuse me. Now, I highly recommend the book Women in Purple, Rulers of Medieval Byzantium by Judith Heron for an excellent overview of this entire drama and basically how the women stopped this iconoclasm very deftly. And it's really a great read. Uh, and I think this book would rival Game of Thrones in terms of subject matter for the next blockbuster cable series and be actual history instead of fiction. Now, the legend and belief that St. Luke was the painter of icons was embraced by what I call team iconophiles. And these are the ones who wanted icons to remain in Christian practice. And the belief that Luke was the painter of the icons was introduced to defend the presence of artistic images in churches, in public and private homes. Now, if a saint was responsible for the creation of icons, then the images could exist. An account from the 15th century monastery of Kikos in Cyprus, established that the Virgin herself commissioned the portraits. The monastery uh, where this came from is actually dedicated to the Holy Mother. Now, according to this tradition, the Virgin recognized St. Luke's talent and the Archangel Gabriel provided him with wooden panels for the images. These legends only further validated the existence of icons. And Greek Orthodox Catholics teach that Luke completed three icons of Mary during her lifetime and another 70 after she ascended to heaven. Now, icons attributed to St. Luke function similarly to important relics for churches and shrines. Whichever church had one of his icons would increase in popularity and importance. Consequently, the number of icons and statues attributed to Luke increased through the centuries to the point that he must have been quite busy indeed. In the Eastern tradition, early images of St. Luke are scarce, but enough to give us an idea of the general iconography of the evangelist as an artist. Usually, the saint appears seated on the left with an easel in front of him. As the story goes, he is painting the virgin and child. Sometimes it's only him and others' divine wisdom is present, watching and directing the painting. In the Western church, which is not as attached to the entire iconoclasm debacle, much of the tradition of Luke as an artist came from the 12th century bestseller by J.D. Voragni, I'm sure I can't pronounce his name, Voragin, V-O-R-A-G-I-N-E. And the book is on the golden legends or lives of the saint. I again, I highly recommend getting a copy of this really fascinating look at what medieval Christians thought and believed about all sorts of things. The online edition is very inexpensive. It's, it's usually under $3, three US, 
But if you're like me, I really like to hold a book, turn pages and make notes. And there are various options in many, many sites that you can obtain this book in print. Of particular interest is that St. Thomas Christians of India claim to still have one of the Theotokos icons that St. Luke painted and St. Thomas brought to India. Again, I simply leave it up to you to discern what resonates with you in terms of the validity of this story. Not that these Christians are without an image of Mary, but if St. Thomas actually brought one to India that was painted by Luke, I leave that up to you. A recurring theme of the Black Madonnas attributing Luke to Luke is their discoveries often echo the Luke Christmas story. This means discoveries by shepherds with stars, music, and angels involved. Luke's gospel has the most healings documented of any gospel, and these Madonnas made by him are usually associated with healing miracles. What is also interesting is that the gospel surrounds women and the stories of women, specifically the most detailed statements and narratives about the Virgin Mary of all the gospels. The symbol of Luke which will often be pictured with him as he paints his icon or writes his gospel, is that of a bull. There are many reasons for this symbology, but the most popular one is that the bull is a figure of sacrifice, service, and strength. Luke's gospel is often interpreted as one long journey of Christ to Golgotha. And obviously, a lot of will was needed um, and strength and sacrifice to do that. And in anthroposophical symbology, the bull is seen as the symbol of the will. I interpret the color black of the Black Madonnas as a symbol of cosmic will being transformed into human will. So we can see so many connections regarding Luke, the Black Madonna, and the possible messages from the spiritual world. I will end this episode with a prayer dedicated to Luke the Evangelist, written by Dante Gabriel Rossetti in 1850. His collection of writings was called Sonnets for Pictures. Give honor unto Luke Evangelist, for he it was, the aged legends say, who first taught art to fold her hands and pray. Scarcely at once she dared to rend the mist of devious symbols, but soon having wist how sky breadth and field silence and this day are symbols also in some deeper way. She looked through these to God and was God's priest. And if past noon her toil began to irk and she sought talesmen and turned in vain to soulless self-reflections of man's skill, yet now in this the twilight
she must still kneel in the latter grass to pray again, ere the night cometh and she may not work. This is Stephanie Georgiev saying thank you again for spending your valuable time with me. Special thanks to my Patreon supporters, and if you would like to join us during the Holy Nights with the Black Madonna, check out the link in the program notes. I send you many blessings on your journey.